Sometimes we, in our study, we look for certain things and we overlook a lot of other things. One of the things that I think we overlook quite a bit is what was going on in Egypt. They'd gone through nine plagues. They'd watched as one group of people who were former slaves, they seemed to be protected for some reason. The gods that they had depended on for everything in their life now failed them. Don't overlook that. Too many times we say, well, those people were believing in a false god. Why do you think we go to the nations? All you need to do is walk down the streets of any country. Many of them, like Vietnam, you go into the house and they have their idol stands there. I remember a time I was in Poland. We were prayer walking a city. And we walked into a large Catholic church. And it was sparsely seated. And one particular woman really drew my attention. She was there moving her lips, but staring, just a blank, blank stare. Have you ever seen one, uh, a stare like that? I, I walked up and stood beside her, and as when I looked at her face, there was so much hopelessness. She was sitting in a church, feeling her beads, but her body and her face said, I'm in a hopeless situation. I remember stopping and, and praying for that lady because it broke my heart. And you see, that's why we go. And that's why you should go to your neighbors. You're living next door to some people that have passed churches. They may have turned on, quote, Christian TV, but they have no idea what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. And so we were look, you're looking at a group of people totally confused. Their leader stubbornly, this leader that represented all of the gods, refused to bend. And there was a man named Moses. Oh, they remember him. He grew up in Egypt, grew up in Pharaoh's court. Now he was back. But he wasn't in the court of Pharaoh. He was in the court of God himself. So it was a scary time. Speaking of scary times, I read an article just this week of a taxi driver that had a wreck. Uh, he was driving down the street, and uh, he picked up a passenger, and this little lady got in the back seat, and as they drove down the road, she just reached over and tapped him on the shoulder. He screamed cut the wheel, almost hit a bus, stopped, went up on the curb, stopped right in front of a huge plate glass window. After a few minutes of silence, the lady in the back said, I'm so sorry. I didn't know a little tap on your shoulder would scare you. The guy said, no, no, it's my fault. I'm sorry. This is my first day driving a cab. I've spent 25 years driving a hearse. I can't blame him, all right? All right, let's get out of business. We're looking at the chapters 11 and 12. What we're doing today is going up. I call it preparation. 
preparing for that exodus, that night of the Passover. So we're going to pick up in chapter 11 of, of, of Exodus. Let's, let's look at that scripture. The Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more will I bring on Pharaoh and Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Remember, Pharaoh's been bargaining. Okay, you just the men go. Uh, you can take the men and go uh, three miles. Uh, you can take your wives, but not your children, your animals. Pharaoh was trying to deal with God. And folks, if you want to write something down, stop trying to make deals with God. You don't make deals with God. His way is perfect. His way is totally righteous. He's as pure in his justice as he is in his love. You don't make deals with God. Let's go. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they they ask. Every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold and jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of his people. They basically went through Egypt and plundered them. The people were glad to give them anything that they wanted. Uh, They used primarily silver and gold. That was supposed to be used. Uh, In my thinking that when they built that tabernacle in the wilderness, some of the things that they had, had taken from the Egyptians, would be used. But the problem was... The first time, or about the third time they run into some opposition, Moses was on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments from God, and the people got afraid, and he said to Aaron, Aaron, I want, we want you to build us a, a statue. We want, we want to remember, and this statue was a cow, and that has significance because a cow represented motherhood in Egypt. It was one of the gods that God himself was coming against. And they melted down to silver and gold. And I love, excuse me, I love Aaron's description. Moses said, what is this? What have you done? He said, well, I just took some gold and silver and threw it in the fire and out popped a cow. That's pretty good business. You see, after that, it was taboo for a man to wear any type of gold or silver ornaments there. They, uh, they no longer had that privilege. All right, let's go on. So Moses said, thus saith the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill. What that is is a pictures of the lowest type of work. Grinding wheat and, and corn into a meal, the lowest of lowest to the throne of Pharaoh and all of the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt. And as such, there has never been, nor will ever be again. Pharaoh, not only that, let, 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 thank you. 
But not a dog, understand this, not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these, your servants, shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. That hot anger refers back to Pharaoh, not to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Why? God picking on Egypt? No. You see, there's a lot going on. Egypt was a land of idolatry. For over 430 years, Israel grew from 70 to millions in the land of Egypt. I like to refer to Egypt as kind of the hothouse where God developed a nation that wasn't a nation. Slaves were in Egypt. A free people and a new nation would be coming out. And that nation that would come out was going into a land that was filled with idol and idol worship. And God was doing two things there. Number one, he was giving an opportunity for the Egyptians to know the one true God. That's the grace of God. To know him, to see his wonders, to know that there is no other God in the land but Yahweh. It was an outreach to Egyptians that they may know. And secondly, it was to be a lesson for Israel. When they went into that land, Israel was to be a missionary force. They were to be the light, the light of the gospel of this coming Messiah Christ and God as their one true God. So God was teaching lessons. God was forming people. He wanted them to be that evangelistic light. Now, how do you know it was evangelistic light? Well, I can tell you. Number one, in this Passover, don't assume that every Israelite put the blood on their doorpost or their lintel. We can't assume that. We're not told that all of Israel. Secondly, we're told in the Exodus portion that we'll get to that a mixed multitude left Egypt. Now, a mixed multitude always refers to, in Old Testament, Jewish and Gentiles. So there were people in Egypt who must have heard what was going on, heard the instructions, and put that blood on their doorpost. And they did that in faith that it would make a difference in their life. And we see that when they exited, ultimately it did. There was a mixed multitude that left Egypt. Let's go to 12. This is a preparation for the Passover. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month, now get this, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. Here's what he's saying. Hold that up there. God is saying to Israel, you're not only going to come out of servitude and become a great nation. This is so significant 
That is the beginning. Throw away all of your old calendars. This is going to be the beginning of months for you. I think that points directly to Christ. And when Christ comes into our life, we are a new creation. Whether we are the nine to the 90 or 99 or 100, there is a first step, a first month, a first year in our life. It's fresh. It's new. Everything else has passed away. The blood of Jesus has forgiven it. Jesus has said, I'll cast your sins behind my back. As far as the east is from the west, so far will I remove your iniquities from you. It is a fresh start. God's saying to Israel, throw away your calendars. You're going to have a new one. This is the beginning of months for you. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number. Hold that. Do you see what God is doing? He's making a provision for everybody. What did it mean if a household is too small for a lamb? Listen, there were some of the slaves that had lambs. They had their own livestock. But there were many that were even in a depth of deeper poverty. So God has made a way from the lowest, the ones that may say, I can't, I I don't have a lamb. I'm going to be missing out. God said, no, you just get with your neighbor and you have a lamb for two households. The nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you will keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost, two doorposts, and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. Preparation. Take that blood. Do you see how it points to Christ? Points to Christ. Listen, all the way back in Genesis. Remember Adam and Eve, our forebears? Perfect in every way. There was not one piece of crabgrass in their yard. Everything was beautiful. Didn't have to fertilize. Perfect creation. Perfect man and woman. But they decided they had a better idea. And they sinned. Do you remember what the Lord did? They were dressed up in fig leaves. And I can't imagine. I've seen fig leaves before. And uh, they're itchy. That's for one thing. And... uh, it, it, it had to look stupid, really, if you think about it. But that's the best they could do. And what they were trying to do is cover their sin. But it's said that Jesus took the wool of an animal and made for them clothes. I believe that animal was a sheep, maybe two sheep, one for Adam, one for Eve. And it was killed. And that sheep offered its blood as a covering for Adam and Eve. 
That is a direct point in the very beginning of the Bible to the one Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who would come. Every lamb that was ever taken on the Day of Atonement into the temple only was temporary. It was only a pointing. You're coming here to offer this for an atonement, but one is coming, Jesus Christ, who will offer the ultimate atonement. And never again will that atonement have to be offered for you again. In fact, the Hebrew writer says this, if it is possible for you to lose your salvation, Jesus Christ himself would have to come back to earth and continually be crucified. Jesus Christ would live on the cross rather on the throne in heaven. When Jesus came, he was the perfect lamb of God. He was that perfect sacrifice that God required the blood of in order to remove his wrath from a sinful, hopeless generation of people to come. The lamb of God that takes the sins of the world. In fact, in his introduction, John the Baptist looked up and said, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's Jesus, and all through the word of God, it points to that coming. As I said, there was confusion. And I kind of remembered one of my favorite psalms that kind of describes all the different ways that, that we could be confused, okay? It's in Psalms 107, if you want to write that down. But when you look at this psalm, you'll find out that some wandered in waste places. Did we get that? All right. Some wandered in waste places. This is an illustration, a simple illustration of the wilderness. Now, you say wilderness. Well, this could be a reflection of the wilderness wanderings. Of Egypt, it could be the wilderness wanderings that you and I have experienced in our lives. Do you, do you know that? The, wind, the wilderness. What is a wilderness? A wilderness is a place of hopelessness. A wilderness is a place without vegetation. It is what its name says. And many people today are living in the wilderness of their life. The wilderness as a result of, a, of rejecting the offer of Jesus Christ. The psalmist in another place said he makes a roadway in the wilderness. Let me read this to you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and the west, the north and the south. Now some wandered in the wilderness. They found no way to a city to dwell hungry and thirsty, and their soul fainted within them. Now regardless of the prosperity that we may think we have today, or the prosperity that we are enjoying, every person knows this about themselves. They're living in the lush prosperity of walking with the Lord, or they're living in a place in their mind that is a waste wasteland. Everywhere they look, there is no hope. Everywhere they look is destitution. They have no hope of ever, ever finding a different way of life. And too many people give it up. But what did they do? They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them from their distress. 
He led them by a straight way until they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Listen to this. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Answer this yourself. <coughs> Excuse me. Are you hungering for the good things? Now, I'm not talking about better house. <coughs> Excuse me. Went down the wrong hole. <coughs> better house, better job. No, I'm talking about your personal life. Where do you live in your mind? Is there fear? Do you live totally afraid every day? Does the headline scare you? Is there maybe emptiness like a wilderness is? When you cry out to the Lord, he will lead you to that place where he is. Well, some sat in darkness in the shadow of death. This is a picture of prisoners. It could refer to the prophets that had been put in jail year after year. They were prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the works of God and refused the counsel of the Most High, so they were bowed down in their hearts with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. There's all kinds of prisons, folks. I've mentioned the prison of fear. There is a prison of addictions. There is a prison of an out-of-control life. You think you're free, but you're not. Because inside, when you're by yourself, you don't have a sense of a freedom to live life. That's the bondage of sin, which are the bars that are on your house and your doors. And you, you look around and there's no help. But they cried out to the Lord, and the Lord delivered them in their trouble. And he brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and he burst their bonds apart. Some were foolish through their sinful ways. <laughs> and because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction, and they loathed every kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Do you remember David, the son of Bathsheba? David couldn't eat or drink. He, in describing in the 51st Psalms, he said his very bones ached. He, he couldn't stand any food. He, he was in one of the most hopeless, pitiful ways, and it was because of sin. Now, I've said this many times. Nobody, you know, we classify big sins and little sins, right? If somebody comes and knocks on your door... And your child runs to the door. Before you, that kid gets to the door, you see who it is and you tell them, you tell them mommy's not home or daddy's not home. And that kid runs to the door. I knocked on the door one time. I was collecting for a finance company. And a little girl came, looked at me beaming. She said, mommy said she's not home. <laughs> see the honesty of the child? See, we say that's a little white lie. Sin is sin in the eyes of God. And while we're worried about what we call the big sins, and everybody has that list, 
And when you stay away from those sins, you think everything's okay. But did you know that every disobedience to God and his moral life, his law is a sin? It's basically saying God is not right in this because when it's something that we want or something that helps us, we bend the rules and we think, well, it's okay. I have absolution for this sin and God just won't hold that against me. Do you know what will send you straight into the gates of hell? Oh, not all your little cluttering sins. Those are the things that just kind of amp up the heat in hell. What sends you to hell is when you disobey the call of God to come to him and surrender your life. That is disobedience. And any form of disobedience is sin. And it will lead you into places. So you say, what can I do? I'm 80 years old and I've sinned all my life. What? hope is there for me glad you asked they cried out to the lord in their trouble and he delivered them from his distress he sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction some went down in ships to do business they saw the deeds of the lord his wondrous works of the deep for he commanded and raised the stormy wind and lifted up the waves of the sea and they mounted to the heavens and went down into the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight and they reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. I don't know if you've ever went out of any of the inlets that we have leading to the ocean, but there are some inlets that I just don't like to go out. And the reason is your boat rises and you see sunshine. The boat drops between the waves and it's darkness and all you see is water. This denotes people who are so busy in their business life, busy forming a career, busy putting away money for the 401k, working all of their lives simply to retire and enjoy it. And so many times there are empty retirements left for one reason. They worked ever all their life and they never realized there was a day of reckoning. They never realized that one day they would stand before God. They never realized that as the proverb writer says, when you leave all of your money, you don't know what kind of person is going to take your money. And so we spend our life in the futility. Now, I'm not saying don't have retirement, don't work hard, but see, when you pour your life. Now, I'm looking at people that mostly are retired, but I have good news for you, not expired. And you're busy in your life. You go here, you go there, and you get so busy with all the activities that they get for people who get our age that we forget about the Savior we've walked with. Or we will be so intently enjoying what we worked hard for, we don't remember there's a day coming. In this, there is a reckoning. Psalms 107, 33 through 34, God says, He turns rivers to a desert, springs of water to thirsty ground, a fruitful land and to a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. 
It's saying that because of disobedience, God can take, take everything that you think that's best, the goals of your life, everything, and turn it into a dry, salty land through disobedience. But on the other hand, he can take a desert. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. The beautiful thing about obedience is this. You don't have to have a college education. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. When God gives you this life, he gives you a manual for life. In this book are not instructions on what to do and what not to do. It's instructions to how to live the abundant life. Remember Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. He ends with this warning. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Guys, we're no different than those people that wondered what was going on in Egypt. There's things happening in the world that we don't understand. It's driven so many people to fear. Driven so many people into having to to have something to help them in their life. I want to offer you Jesus Christ. Here's what Jesus said. Oh, you're going to have heartaches. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have that place called the Valley of the shadow of death. But he says, fear no evil. I'm with you. That complete life that Christ offers us is that when we lay on our bed, it's like a a young uh, man told one of our pastors the morning before he died that night, don't pray for me to be healed. I'm ready to go to heaven. And you see that assurance is available. Do you remember this is the first day of the first month of the first day year Israel? I can offer you this morning, if you don't have that personal relationship with Christ, a first day of the first month of the first year of your life. Christian friend, your life gets bogged down in life. Tell me, I understand. You can have that fresh start. How do you do that? Say, Lord, you gave me a life. I've not lived that life to the full, giving you everything. Today, I give it all to you. I want to be a servant. I want to know you. Would you consider that this morning? Father, as we come to you, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful, oh God, in all the foolishness that we get involved in. All the times that we failed, Lord, you simply stand there at our heart's door saying, come to me. This morning, would you tug, would you convict, would you lure that, Father, this group of people can taste a foretaste of the glory we'll spend in eternity. Dear Lord, today, call, and I pray many will respond. In Jesus' name, amen.